Hello. So, I skipped last week, sorry about that, but um, this week I'm back and I wanted to read a, a little short passage, or, well, passages from D.J. Taylor's 2003 biography of George Orwell, uh, particularly as Taylor is uh, publishing uh, this month a new biography of Orwell, uh, 20 years since he wrote uh, the last one. Uh, he's writing it from scratch, I believe, so it'll be interesting to see what new material he's uncovered uh, or that he brings into the into the story and uh, how his perhaps how his relationship, the biographer's relationship with the subject, has changed over the intervening decades. Uh, but anyway, his 2003 biography is uh, spectacularly good, and I wanted to read a little bit from it. Now, throughout the book, um, Taylor kind of uh, interrupts the narrative with uh, digressions of a kind. Um, there are things uh, about Orwell's uh, Orwell and the Jews, for example, uh, his, uh, you know, complex, shall we say, relationship with, with the Jews. Uh, Orwell and the rats, uh, you know, the, the rats that uh, plagued Orwell throughout his life. Uh, and various other uh, Orwell in view, you know, trying to, what uh, film footage there may be of Orwell, Orwell's voice, what Orwell's voice might have been like, Orwell's face, etc, etc. Uh, just interesting digressions on a particular aspect of Orwell that's not strictly uh, part of the biographical narrative. And this one is called Orwell's Failure. Uh, Orwell had a sense that he was a failure for most of his life, if not all of his life, which is interesting given how successful he's been, at least posthumously. But even during his own lifetime, uh, he was quite successful, even if he wasn't a megastar, as he would later become. So this is an interesting little look at at uh, this odd, or perhaps not so odd, aspect of Orwell's personality. All right, here we go then. Orwell was obsessed by the idea of failure. Life, he once wrote, was on balance a succession of defeats, and only the very young or the very foolish believed otherwise. To look back on past time was to be eternally cast down by a sense of your own insignificance. Leaving St Cyprian's at the age of 13 with two public school scholarships under his belt, he was uncomfortably aware that he had been judged and found wanting, and that the judgment would irreversibly continue. Failure, 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 failure behind me, failure ahead of me. That was by far the deepest conviction that I carried away. It was the same when he sat down to examine the down-at-heel vagrant life of his mid-to-late-twenties. Disillusioned by the imperial racket, thrown upon his own resources, he came, as he put it, to know both poverty and the sense of failure. Glittering prizes lay strewn across the path of the Eton election of 1916, All Souls Fellowships, literary editorships and calls to the bar. But Orwell knew, and according to his retrospective glosses, seems always to have known that they would never be his. Failure, he wrote in the roads to Wigan Pier, seemed the only positive virtue. And if the man was a failure, so too was the work, 
Orwell's attitude to his books is generally that of bitter disparagement. Nowhere is this more apparent than in the essay Why I Write, written in 1946 for the little magazine Gangrel, shortly after publication of the novel that had definitively made his name. Orwell hoped at some point in the near future to write another work of fiction, he told his readers. It is bound to be a failure. Every book is a failure. Every book? Ulysses and Vanity Fair and The Origin of Species, all of them? There is no getting away from this blanket disavowal of his own and everyone else's talent, for it had been there since the very start of his career. The idea of a pseudonym was first advanced to his agent back in 1932 on slightly implausible grounds that he was not proud of Down and Out in Paris and London. A clergyman's daughter was written off as bollocks. Keep the Aspidistra flying, in which he claimed to have sweated blood at the time of writing, was later marked down as a pot boiler, written simply to get his hands on Golanx's £100. Neither would he allow to be reprinted in his lifetime. A new edition of A Clergyman's Daughter hung fire until as late as 1961. Generally speaking, Orwell seems to have decided shortly after, or in some cases before publication, that what he had written was a mess in which a promising idea or good material had defied his ability to render it down. As for his workaday journalism, one need only read a sketch like Confessions of a Book Reviewer to grasp the depths of professional futility by which he was regularly oppressed. And if the books were failures, so, given that most of his leading characters are exercises in self-projection, were the people who wandered about in them. Each of Orwell's protagonists, in fact, is a study in failure, of life not sustaining its early promise, dreams cast down into dust. Flory in Burmese days is a lonely fantasist, his best years squandered in drink and whoring. Dorothy in a clergyman's daughter, an old maid at twenty-eight. Comstock in Keep the Aspidistra Flying, a moth-eaten minor poet turned sour by his blighted hopes. Even George Bowling, the most resourceful of this shabby crew, is irrevocably caught up in the ooze and stagnation of a life lived out with the mirthless Hilda in the shadow of approaching war. Each of Orwell's novels, by extension, is the story of a rebellion that fails, of an individual, in the case of Animal Farm, a mini-society, who, however feebly or obliquely, attempts to throw over the traces. Each ends in more or less the same way, with the protagonist humbled, defeated, sent back to square one. Flory shoots himself. Dor Dorothy returns to the sedative thraldom of her father's rectory. Gordon succumbs to the insidious embrace of the money god. Winston, brainwashed and re-educated, knows that he loves Big Brother. There is no way out. The best one can hope for is a kind of coming to terms with this environmental quicksand. The he-is-dead-but-won't-lie-down idea peddled by the epigraph to coming up for air. When did Orwell begin to cultivate, or have cultivated for him, the notion of his personal inadequacy? Undoubtedly, he felt that he had disappointed his parents, his father especially, by his choice of career, and yet the whole thing seems much more integral to him, much more bound up in his idea of who he was, than to have been a consequence of parental hurt. To go back to why I write, it is the off-handedness of the line about every book being destined to fail that really startles, the absence of gesture. It was Orwell, we can infer, who decided that he was a failure.
The rest, the opinions of parents, schoolmasters and literary critics, was merely corroborative. At the same time, it is important to distinguish what Orwell thought and said about himself from the habitual self-deprecation practised by other men of his age and background. To read accounts of the career of Ian Fleming's brother Peter, four years below Orwell at Eton, at least one of whose best-selling 30s travel books Orwell admired, is to descry a wall of quite impenetrable reserve, a stylization of personal and literary manner founded on an almost painful diffidence. Orwell displayed many of the same characteristics, the laconic speech, the dry humour, the tolerant irony, the shirking from a limelight in which he might have performed to advantage. Adequacy comes in his with the great minds of his age, authorship of as in so many other compartments of his life, he had failed. There we go. Interesting little uh, traits of Orwell's. The one I think that a lot of people can respond to. Uh, yeah. By which I mean I can respond to it. <laughs> In the sense that uh, I think... Uh, I have a lot of, uh, let's say, insecurity about my own work. I, I, I don't rate it very highly. Uh, so it's, uh, it's always nice to hear people compliment you, of course, but you never quite believe it. Uh, anyway, I didn't intend to give such a glimpse into my own mind there, but uh, Orwell loosened me up a bit, it seems. All right, that's all for now. Have a lovely week. Oh, and uh, do do uh, read T.J. Taylor's book and purchase his upcoming one, which I'm sure will be great. I'm hoping to get a review copy of it in advance. All right, see you later.